This is Liam Hendricks, and you're watching Crosstown Crosstalk on the Barroom Network. Some may find the following disturbing. Discretion is advised. Every summer in Chicago, the sunshine spotlights the city's spectacular skyline, its luxurious lakeshore, marvelous monuments, and the over 200 neighborhoods in the city. And it also brings to light two of the greatest sports franchises in the world. On the north side, it's the Cubs. On the south side, it's the White Sox. This is Crosstown Crosstalk. Hello and welcome to another very exciting episode of Crosstown Crosstalk presented by the Barroom Network. My name is Vinny Parisi and it still hasn't stopped snowing. I know last yesterday on Bar Down Talking Hockey, we were talking about some snow and what was going on here in the good old Midwest. Still hasn't stopped snowing. We go from hockey, where we like talking about snow, to baseball, where we don't like talking about snow very much. I'm ready for it to end. I know we got a big storm coming up again this weekend, but, you know, we got to get through it in order to get to everyone's favorite sport of baseball. And there's nobody else that I'd rather be talking to this week based on some of the recent current events going on in Major League Baseball than somebody who covers and tweets and loves a team that's been in the news quite a bit over the last week or so. Of course, I'm talking about the Minnesota Twins. They've been in quite the mood to make some moves over the last couple days, weeks, months. They're always doing stuff that gets under a lot of skin of people in Chicago, but people in Minnesota love it. They deserve to love something. Someone who I'm a big fan of on Twitter, Twins Ted. He joins the show right now. Ted, how you doing? Good. How are you, Vinny? Very, very good. It's good to have you on our show. I'm so excited to have you. This is actually our first time ever meeting after, you know, seeing you on Twitter for all these years. <laughs> Yes, I'm not a cartoon in real life, unfortunately. <laughs> you know, I was kind of wondering what, like, I obviously figured that was a cartoon image of yourself, but I was like, is he going to put, like, a cartoon, like, you know how the computers can kind of, like, turn you into a cartoon using, like, a, a, a screen or whatever? I don't know what they call it, like, a, what do they call yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, I filter, think. A filter, yeah. yeah, exactly. What's going on to everyone in the chat? Make sure you leave your questions for Twins Ted you know, talking about the Minnesota Twins, Minnesota sports, you're wonderful at it. How did this whole thing start? Um, honestly, I think just being a fan, um, I work in IT staffing during the day um, and there was downtime. I ended up being pretty decent at my job and having, I guess, time to fill um, and started wanting to just share thoughts, opinions, whatever. I didn't really understand Twitter when I first got on. I didn't, I thought it was basically like an extension of your Facebook um, status update or whatever. Um, and then as I kind of dove in a little more, I guess I like Twitter being basically a first source for news for whatever you want to create or cultivate because it's who, I, I mean, it's an opt-in service. You can follow whoever you want and then your feed becomes whatever you want it to be. Um, writing kind of started from there when it was like, 
okay, 140 characters or whatever it was, uh, really isn't enough to articulate complete thoughts or ideas or whatever. Um, and I, I just started blogging online. Um, I blogged for a little bit with um, the Fan Sided Network. I blogged a little bit for um, SB Nation. And then in Minnesota here or in for the Twins, uh, Twins Daily is really a group of bloggers that started their own website. It's probably one of the bigger independent um, outlets, I would say, in in baseball, probably. Uh, and John Bonas, uh, one of the owners, approached me, asked if I wanted to um, start putting my stuff there, and the rest is kind of history. You remind me of myself in a little way of like, or maybe I remind you of me, whatever, however it works. I don't know how it works, but you like to get in the mud a little bit on Twitter too. You like messing with other teams, fan bases and stuff. And I, you know me, I'm sure you've seen some of my tweets over the years. Like it's fun. I try to, I try so I'm not, I'm an introvert, um, surprisingly. And I try to not poke the bear too much because I'm not great at having thick skin. It's still not great to read the mentions sometimes. Um, but I enjoy engaging with other fan bases and I never really feel like I'm doing it for the sake of just engagement um, or, Hey, here's a hot take to try to make people mad. But um, just, you know, the, the sake of, Hey, like if, if Twitter is the greatest sports bar that you could have just to have conversations with other people, why would you not want to talk to those other fan bases or whatever? I mean, it's kind of weird when you're just shouting, you know, into the void to yourself. Yeah, absolutely. That makes a ton of sense. So now we're going to get to the part that neither of us like talking about based on our two fanhoods between the White Sox and the Twins, and that's the 2022 season. At the All-Star break, the league put a picture of Byron Buxton with Tim Anderson holding their bats and eating popcorn and stuff. That was the whole theme there. And they're like, it's going to be a great race to the finish between these two awesome teams. And then some stuff stuff happened for both of us. We ended up coming in second and third. It doesn't really matter what went on between the two teams because the Cleveland Guardians just made them both look so dumb. So dumb. The Twins had the lead for the whole year, basically. They let it squander in September. The White Sox were this big juggernaut that was supposed to come in and dummy everyone, and they stunk from day one. What the H happened in 2022, Ted? I mean, for the Twins, a lot of that was injuries, I think. They had multiple full rotations on the injured list at the same time. You lose, you know, Carlos Correa for a period of time. Then you bring in your top prospect and you lose Royce Lewis for the year. You have guys that you thought were going to be healthy that just weren't. It's weird because, it, like, the, you say the Twins and the White Sox – as much as the guardians have been kind of the cream of the crop in the division of late, it's never as a twins fan, at least it's never really felt like they have a vocal fan base that is excited about wherever they are. I mean, their attendance was even terrible when they were pushing towards the world series. So the twins and the white Sox kind of hating each other and the fan base is kind of going back and forth. Like that's a fun rivalry when both teams are good. And the fact that, Last year, it was supposed to be the White Sox kind of the favorite in the division or not necessarily a runaway favorite, but the Twins were trending back towards challenging them. And then 
even when the twins were in first, it never really felt like either team was there. I mean, it was, they were both kind of sleepwalking to the point of, okay, Cleveland's just going to take this thing over at some point. Yeah. And it was extremely frustrating to watch. Both teams dealt with a load of injuries, as you mentioned with Correa and, you know, the, the prospect and Buxton didn't play the whole year, I believe. Right. Like he's always, he had a, yeah, he, uh, he, he messed up his knee pretty bad. Like I think two, three weeks in um, on a slide against the Red Sox. And then he basically played the whole year dealing with having to get fluid drained off of his knee every couple days and whatever. I think he ended up playing like 90 plus games, but I mean, he had off season knee surgery because of it. So yeah, he was never healthy. Yeah, absolutely. It was just a rough year all around, but now we turn the page and we start the off season and Obviously, the big news surrounding the Twins when they release these sweet, by the way, jerseys. I love them. Some people hate them. I love all four of them. Maybe I'm just weird. Uh, that's probably the reason. Um, <laughs> Carlos Correa wasn't in any of the pictures, though. They got four unique Twins to model these things, and Carlos Correa was not one of them. It's like, oh, he's gone. See you later. He's going to sign a big contract. Goes to the Giants. Doesn't stick with the Giants because of his injury, whatever. They're worried about a long-term thing with his ankle, I believe. And then the Mets are like, okay, we have a billion, trillion, gazillion dollars. We'll give him some of it. And then they're like, wait a minute, maybe the Giants were on to something. And then the Twins swoop in, get them. It wasn't even a day that went by where they did a physical, like Rosenthal or Pass, and one of them had the tweet, and then boom, the Twins announced it as an organization so you know it was legit and not going to get overtaken in a couple weeks. Talk to me about Carlos Correa. So going back to the jersey um, unveiling, that was kind of cool. It was at um, the Mount America. I like – I think I like most of them. I thought I was not going to like the whites, um, but I like most of them. The little M kind of – I don't love it on a hat. It looks like a Marlins uniform um, or logo, but at any rate, uh, three of three. Yeah. Three of the infielders were um, there. It was Polanco, Arise and Miranda. And those three are very close with Carlos Correa. Um, I actually covered that event for twins daily and they had Carlos Correa on FaceTime um, at the event. So that was kind of cool that like they were just constantly in contact. Obviously the twins made it well known to Correa and basically their fan base knew that the offseason hinged on his decision. It was frustrating from the get go because there was really never a period in which he was going to sign that mega deal for less than 300 million. Their offer to him um, when they kind of first started talking was around 280 million. They ended up only going to 285 before he signed with the giants and it, it always felt like they didn't do enough. And yeah, that's a lot of money and I get it, but a thing for the twins and their fan base has constantly been, well, okay, we're in the mix for a guy. And yeah, you can say you tried and $285 million is a lot of money, but when he's got a 330 or $350 or $350 million deal or offer, that's not even in the same realm. Like you, you didn't even make him consider it. Then, thankfully, the way that doctors and Scott Boris talked about this a lot during um, Correa's reintroductory press conference, I guess. Um, thankfully, doctors just view 
medicals as far as like an actual medical examination so much different than how you would view I guess like what did he call it like your actual ability or your actual output and so what the Giants and the Mets were so concerned about was that an MRI was showing potential problems down the road from a surgery he had relating to his ankle and his fibula um, back when he was a prospect, I believe 2014 or something like that. The twins had told him, um, and I'd heard from multiple sources that they had told him throughout the process, they weren't worried about his medicals. He played there an entire season and their benefit was that their team doctor had worked with him every day in the training room, whatever. And so they knew like the functioning abilities of his body, of his ankle. And so when they put back their last offer on the table or got this thing moving again, it was very much known to him that, hey, this is not going to be a problem. Like, yes, you will have to take a physical because that's part of the process, but we're not going to back out because of something to do with your ankle. If something else crazy comes up, sure, but this is a done deal. Um, and they pushed it too. I mean, very similar to the Buxton situation where they're getting a guy that is worth way more than a hundred million, but that's all they have to pay him because he's been hurt and because he's already here and whatever. Correa's deal um, at six years is nothing. I mean, like the amount of money that they're paying him for six years is not a huge deal. And then they somehow also negotiated that the seventh, eighth, ninth, and 10th years are team options. Like he can vest them if I think he has the right number of plate appearances and stuff like that. But they can just from, I believe he'll be 35 or 34 or something like that when the first six years are done. They can basically just say every single year, do we think that you're aging poorly or not? Okay, you're not. All right, we'll opt in for another year. Like the way that it went from him signing with two other teams to landing with the twins on a contract that is absolutely ridiculously team friendly. I mean, that never happens. It doesn't happen for Minnesota at least. Yeah. And if you take what's going on with his ankle and all that, and it ends up being like perfectly fine, then like you said, you got one of the great steals in the history of the league because the Giants and the Mets, two teams that have been known to pay players in the past, it's not money clearly isn't an issue for those teams a lot of the time. Gonna end up working out in the Twins' favor. The only team that benefited from it, the Giants and the Mets getting cold feet, would be the Twins. What are your expectations for Correa now, though? Like, do you expect him to be that elite player that he's been over the last couple years? Maybe I'm not talking about the back end of his contract either. The Twins are trying to win right now, based on the roster that they have and the moves that they're making. Yeah, it's interesting too that like the Giants and the Mets were so concerned about an ankle when you're talking about 12 and 13 year deals. I mean, you can look at shortstops over the course of major league baseball. They don't age well. Like at 35, a lot of shortstops are done. Look at Jose Reyes, look at Troy Tulowitzki. It's a demanding position. And sure you can move to second base, third base, whatever, but it, it just doesn't age well period. So you being worried about an ankle in the short term or even the long term, but being willing to offer a 12 year deal, like that's never, you, you would have been paying him until he was 40, 41. That's never going to be good regardless. Um, I think for the twins, you know, last year he, he led the team in war. Um, it wasn't his best year. He was an MVP candidate, I think 
two years, something like that. Um, and I think there's probably a little bit more in the tank. It looked pretty bad when he got hit on the hand with that hit by pitch and he missed, I think, two, three weeks. But it looked like, I mean, it looked like he was going to need to have surgery or he had a broken hand or something. I think, you know, you settle in to a place that now he knows is home last year. Yeah, sure. He signed a three-year deal, but everyone knew that was going to be a one-year deal where he opted out. He has nothing now that he is playing for his next contract. He's gotten his mega deal. I think there's a very good chance that he could be a borderline hall of fame player. And it's interesting because he played, I believe six years or seven years with the Astros if he doubles his war, which would be about what he'd need to do to get into the Hall of Fame conversation, he'd have seven years total with the Twins, at least, um, through that six-year deal. So you're talking about potentially, you know, a Twins Hall of Fame caliber shortstop. And the, him playing at, I believe he's 28 or will be 29, next to um, Jose Miranda on one side, potentially Royce Lewis at second base at some point this year, if things don't go well for Polanco and Alex Kirilov at first base, that's a really young infield. And it's an infield with, I mean, three, four top 100 previous top 100 prospects. It could be a very, very, very good group if he is going to be that leader. Yeah. And sometimes across all sports, guys who are not at an, he's not in an advanced stage, but guys who are like veterans, been in the league for a long time, when they get surrounded by some of this youth, they hit the fountain of youth themselves. And I think this thing could really be good for Carlos Correa. Now, one player that I was a little surprised to hear his name in rumors early in the offseason, and then it actually came to fruition, is the ultimate White Sox killer, as we see South Burbs Hitman in the chat say, happy to see him leave Minnesota. A lot of people in the division are feeling that way. Luis Arise is one of the best hitters. He was one of the best hitters in the American League. Pure contact, batting title, all sorts of stuff. He had for power every now and then. Guy was able to hit a home run here and there. But he gets traded to the Miami Marlins what were your initial thoughts? Where are you at with it now? Based on your tweets, it seems that you have clear peace with the trade based on the what the Twins are trying to do as a whole and pitching has been an issue for all this time. Like, What's your takeaway here? Yeah, I think I first started hearing rumors and started hearing things from a few different sources back in December, but it sounded like they'd been open to the idea for quite some time. Um, not necessarily with a rise, I guess, but they had been looking at Pablo Lopez for quite a while. Um, and I think it's a good situation or a, a good um, outcome where you have two teams that just both benefit equally. It's weird to me that the twins got so much value out of it. I mean, I don't think Pablo Lopez is an ace by any means, but the fact that they picked up a fringe top 100 prospect with it too um, certainly helps. Arise is a great hitter. Um, and has an exceptional hit tool. The problem is he doesn't really do anything else well. He's not extremely fast. He's not a good defender. Um, and he is young, but there's a lot of questions, I think, on how he ages. His knees have been a problem the past two seasons, and I think the Twins definitely feel some of that. Um, putting him at first base, or I mean, it's weird to me that the Marlins are going to play him at second base. I don't think he's a good second baseman. Um, but putting him out in the field on his feet constantly, it, it may not work out well long-term, um, uh, for his career, but 
Yeah, I mean, from a fan base perspective, it's hard to lose a guy that is a glue piece in the uh, in the clubhouse. I mean, he was well-liked. He was loved by fans. But I think ultimately, and I wrote something about that at Twins Daily the other day, like, it's great to have guys that you like for whether it's the casual fan or the diehard fan or whatever. But the Twins saw last year, like Luis Arias was constantly on the field and he won a batting title and the Twins had a lower attendance total than they have way back to the Metrodome. So yeah, it's great that the fan base loves him, but clearly winning matters more. And if they feel like, you know, they're a pitcher away or need a pitcher to help lengthen the rotation, which I believe is the case, that that's a position of strength that they can deal from. And sometimes you got to make those moves. I couldn't agree more. Now we touched on him a little bit earlier in the show. We talked about Byron Buxton a little bit. He dealt with some knee issues last year. Injuries have been an issue throughout his career so far. That's why he doesn't make the money that he probably deserves. When people name the best players in Major League Baseball, they say Shohei Otani, Aaron Judge, Mike Trout, Juan Soto, guys like that. In my opinion, Byron Buxton is without question in that group. And I'm wondering now, did we lose Ted? Oh, we did not lose Ted. He's here. Okay. Um, He's... Amongst that group, amongst the great players in the game right now, the Judge, the Soto, the Harper, Machado, Otani, all of them, he needs to stay healthy in order for people to like realize that outside of Minnesota or the Central Division. I know if you ask a Guardians fan, they'll say the same thing. He had the huge walk-off home run off of Liam Hendricks earlier in the season last year. Like This guy's just a dude. Talk to me about Byron Buxton. Yeah, I mean, on a per-game basis, his numbers are silly, and if you extrapolate his numbers to 162 games season two, they're crazy. It's, it's always been a health thing. And I don't, I mean, some guys probably just their bodies, I don't know, don't hold up as well. He, he does play an aggressive style of baseball, but it's not, it's not what it was, you know, five, six years ago that the twins have done a really good job positioning him in the outfield. He plays closer to um, the wall now. So he, has a better understanding of where he's at on the field as opposed to crashing into the wall. Um, some of his stuff has been fluky too. I mean, he, he got a concussion, I believe last year or the year before on a ball that he just dove in on and his head flopped forward when he dove, he's missed time for breaking his hand after getting hit by a pitch. Like it's not all self-inflicted or fluky. Um, but yeah, I mean, he, he would have, absolutely gotten a ridiculous amount of money on the open market, whether he ever was healthy or not, he would have got way more than he did with the twins. Um, But he clearly likes it here. And the twins did an incentive laden deal. I mean, he's, he's truly one of the greatest players in the game right now, just to watch when he's out there. And I don't, I don't love um, him completely leaning into being a power hitter. Um, I wish there was a little bit more on base, a little bit more discipline at the plate, but he's always to me looked the, looked the part of a guy that's going to hit 20, 30 home runs as opposed to, yes, he's extremely fast, but stealing 20, 30 bases is not something he cares about because he can hit doubles. He can hit home runs. He doesn't need to steal third. He's, he's going to score on any base hit from second. So it's been really cool to see him put up the numbers he has over the last three, four years. But yeah, I mean, it would be amazing if, 
if we saw him for 140 or 150 games in a season. And I know that's a thing for him too. He, he hears it. He understands it. He said that at the um, twins Jersey unveiling, like I played 90 some games last year. And I think that was the most I've played since 2016 or something like that. Like he he's aware. And I mean, when he's out there, he's contributing. Absolutely. He's one of my favorite players in the league to watch. The Twins rotation has been kind of a conversation piece over the last couple of years. They've had this offense that could score runs for quite some time now. Now it kind of seems like they've taken from a uh, strength to kind of address a weakness a little bit. They bring in Pablo Lopez. Obviously, the rotation was better last year, I think, than people will ever give it credit for. But I still think there's always room for improvement for any rotation in the league. But one like the Twins, who could win a division title or make it you know, pretty deep in the postseason if it really gets addressed. Um, what's your take on their current starting rotation right now? Yeah, it's it's clear that they are willing to pay for bats and try to develop pitching or trade for pitching. Um, they haven't done a great job developing pitching, uh, but they've done a good job of stockpiling a rotation full of two and three starter types. I mean, the, I'm of the opinion that there's maybe like 10 to 12 aces in baseball. Not every team has one. Some have two. But if you can have five starters that are all number two, number three guys, that's pretty deep. Um, I think Tyler Molly is, if he's healthy, could be the twins best pitcher this year. Sonny Gray is a pretty consistent pitcher. He had a horrible time in New York, but it, the terrible dimensions there just aren't a fit for his style. Um, Joe Ryan was the twins opening day starter last year, and he could very well be their fourth or fifth starter this year. Lopez was a good get. And then hopefully, I mean, the twins have said everything as far as Kenta Maeda is concerned that he's all systems go. Hopefully that's the truth. Um, and hopefully he's fully recovered from Tommy John, but they're probably deeper than they've been at any point in recent history. I mean, they had to run Chris Archer and Dylan Bundy out there way too often last year to have five starters like they do have Bailey Ober be right there contributing as a sixth starter and then have, five or six prospects that are very close or have already made their debut. The twins are in a decent spot rotation wise. It's not going to blow any top of the league um, rotation off the board, but it, it's a lot better than they've been at any point in recent history. How about the bullpen? It'll, I think that is still an area of not necessarily concern, but question um i think i mean Joan duran looked unreal last year and i think that's that's the truth um griffin jacks developed well they traded for jorge lopez um right before the tra or right at the trade deadline and then he kind of went backwards once he got to the twins i think they made some tweaks that probably didn't help him those three could be a a good high leverage back end of the bullpen um It'll be interesting. They've still stuck by Emilio Pagan, even though he gave up games left and right last year. It'd be interesting to see what role he is given this year and what he can do. I think if there's two moves left for the Twins to make this offseason, I think it has to do with probably dealing Max Kepler and finding a bullpen arm. And maybe those two things happen together. Maybe they deal Kepler for a bullpen arm. That makes sense. Listen, the, the Twins... If they can get some good pitching in there, or if the pitching kind of elevates themselves, I think they could elevate the whole team. I actually really like the makeup of this team. You brought up how young the uh, 
the infield is this year. Are there any prospects that people might not know about that we might see in 2023 that you're excited for? I think a lot of the guys that probably debut or that show up have kind of already been on the radar. Royce Lewis should be back midsummer. Um, it's possible that they're, I think he was eighth last year, their eighth overall pick. Um, Brooks Lee could debut this year at second or third or something like, or if uh, Correa misses time. I mean, he made it to double A last year and raked there. Um despite just being drafted we'll probably see or potentially see Austin Martin who was the big piece of the Jose Brios trade from the Blue Jays his prospect status has lost a little luster but uh, and then Simeon Woods Richardson started I think it was the last game of the year last year and he was the other piece in that Brios trade he should probably get a significant amount of run this year as well um, in the rotation very cool now it's time to get to it with our teams battling each other next year. We don't have to talk any junk. We'll save, <laughs> we'll save that for Twitter in June when I'm pissed off that Byron Buxton hits a walk-off home run off of Reynaldo Lopez or something. I'll save that for June or July. But in all joking aside, who are you more worried about in 2023? If, you, if your answer is no one, say it with pride, but the Guardians or the White Sox or oh, uh, somehow the Royals or Tigers? I think it's definitely Chicago. Chicago's, I think the Guardians are underrated and there's talent on that roster and clearly they won the division. I think it's a little young and therefore a little bit more volatile. But I think, and I said this consistently on Twitter last year, I think one of the biggest problems the White Sox had outside of injuries was their own self-inflicted mess with Tony La Russa. I mean, just getting rid of him as a manager and letting that roster breathe I think the White Sox are right there. I think it's the Twins and the White Sox division to go after again. Obviously, Cleveland will be there. They have consistently been there. The, the farm system there is good. But, yeah, I, I think the White Sox roster is is still pretty scary. I mean, you've obviously watched the Royals play a bunch in the last couple of years. I don't know if you watch them when they're not playing the Twins, but, I mean, we all watch the AL Central a fair amount. Do you have an opinion on Pedro Grafal? Like, Do you like take your Twins hat off and are strictly talking baseball? Yeah, I mean, um, I don't know him all that well or have have a thought there. Um, and I, I watch plenty of other baseball outside of just the Twins. I think I've always been – I'm a big Baldelli fan. I've always been like give other people opportunities as opposed to just recycling managers. Um, and I get Reinsdorf – had a great relationship with La Russa, but there was a reason that he had been out of the league for so long. The game had changed so much. I just think even if it wasn't Grafal, like the come up of just advancing from Tony La Russa is substantial regardless of who it would have been. So Grafal being able to step in and kind of make that team his and readjust the locker room and the clubhouse, like I, I think they're going to, see some substantial benefit from that i completely agree i'm happy to hear that people from outside the fan base also feel the same way people who it would kind of sting a little bit if that were the case to be honest with you um and so hearing stuff like that come from a an opponent like that you play a lot that that's good to know now we saw the hall of fame come out the last couple days scott Rowland makes it to the major league baseball hall of fame 
they start talking about 2024, I noticed a certain name on there, a guy who used to be a thorn in my side. I start thinking about all the great Chicago killers. Luisa Rise was starting to make that list. But, like, you had Nelson Cruz. Obviously, Aaron Rodgers makes me want to do terrible things. Same um, here with Rodgers. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. You feel the pain on Rodgers. We'll actually get to that in a second. But um, Joe Maurer, outstanding player. Um, he, he's got a good case for the Hall of Fame. Go ahead, make your case. Yeah, I don't, I don't understand his uh, detractors thinking it's not a slam dunk. I mean, he's won multiple batting titles as a catcher. He was arguably one of the greatest offensive catchers in Major League history, and he was a great defender as well. Obviously, a lot of people are clouded by the fact that he went to first base after injuries and was not the same player. His contract is a problem for a lot of Minnesotans that, you know, he signed a huge deal and then got hurt or wasn't as effective. My biggest thing with his contract has always been, I mean, in baseball, you aren't paid for future performance. You're paid owners and teams get to keep guys for seven years while they make nothing and are sometimes the most productive of their careers that's what you're getting paid for. Yeah, sure. You would love it to continue going forward, but there's no guarantee you're going to age well. Um, but Maurer as a catcher is right there with Posey numbers wise. Um, he's not far off of Piazza. I just, I don't see a way he doesn't get in. And the the stipulations of him not being a first ballot or whatever. I, I wrote something about that at Twins Daily the other day too. It's so weird to me in a year where, very few people, or it seemed like very few of the writers used all 10 spots. It was a lighter group. Um, Scott Roll deserved to be in. Todd Helton probably deserved to be in too. Now you're adding a, a group that really the only surefire fits are Beltre and Maurer. I don't understand how they both wouldn't go in on the same ballot. If, if you believe Joe Maurer is a Hall of Famer, I don't understand how you wouldn't believe that in 2024, but you you believe it in 2025 solely because you don't want to bet, vote him in on a first ballot. There's there's not enough guys to keep him out of the top 10, put him in. So I, I'm very much looking forward to seeing him um, in Cooperstown. I'm happy someone else said it too. That's annoying when people are like, he's not a first ballot. Like what? If you're all, what does that matter? Yeah. Like it just makes no sense to me. Like there, there are guys who like you can he and haw about and like that might be the reason they're not a first ballot hall of famer, like Scott Rowland, like Todd Helton. There are people that, you know, think it and there's discussion and persuasion and stuff like that. When you know they're a hall of famer, but they're not quite like, the all-time like S-tier players, what's the difference if they're still a first ballot Hall of Famer? Like there's no not every Hall of Famer is created equally. We understand that I'm trying to think of some like Mariano Rivera is a Hall of Famer and so is Frank Thomas. They're Hall of Famers in different ways. Like it, we understand they're not the same. One's the yeah. greatest closer of all time. One's arguably the greatest right-handed hitter of all time. You know, top three. Like we understand it's different. Why does it have to matter? Yeah, it's very odd, and I think the writers would benefit from, instead of voting 10, just doing a yes-no system, either you're a Hall of Famer or you're not, um, but even if that isn't the system, it's not hard to look at the ballot that way either, and just, is Joe Maurer a Hall of Famer, yes or no? If he is, 
why do you check him a year after he goes on the ballot? Because you don't want him to go. It's weird. It's posturing. It's the way people, I don't know. So much of the hall of fame has become more about the vote itself and the writers and the columns that they write and the way that they feel about a player from their time covering them than it actually is the museum or the enshrinement process as a whole. Absolutely. I can't wait till there. I don't know if there's ever going to be change in my lifetime, but I hope there is because it's just way too old school for me to take it too, too seriously. But I would like to see Joe Maurer, whenever my like biggest rivals are so good and they make me so angry, that's like a level of respect in my opinion. And so it's nice when they go on to be Hall of Famers because it's like, okay, this is why the White Sox had their face in the Twins butts for 10 straight years because Joe Maurer and Justin Morneau and all these guys were freaking awesome. And Joe Maurer was one of the leaders of that crew. Um, Speaking of things, Minnesota, I want to veer off the Twins just a tad here talk about the Vikings a little bit. You're, You're a big Vikings fan, right? Yeah, yep. Season so, ticket holder, cover the Vikings a little bit. Okay, cool. I, I I like that. So where do they go from here? I mean, this was a very – it's one of the more unique seasons I've ever seen from any NFL team. I watch football as a whole. I'm sure you do too. Like, very, very unique situation. Dominant record would be 1-11 if you reversed every game that was a, a one-score game. Negative point differential for a team that had so many more wins than losses. Like, so unique. What's up with this Vikings team? Yeah, it's funny, too, how much differently it could have gone had that win-loss record been a little bit different. I mean, all his career, it's been talked about that Kirk Cousins can't win big games or can't come back. And yet this year, he tied Matthew Stafford's record for uh, fourth-quarter comebacks. Yeah, their defense was absolutely awful. And had they... Had they had a mediocre sub 500 record halfway through, I think Kevin O'Connell or uh, general manager Quesi Adolfo Mensa would have fired Ed Donatel then. I mean, there was a significant way to get better in improving the defense or getting a different or a different defensive coordinator in with different perspective. Now they're doing that. Um, but the defense is really old. The defense is not, effective there's a lot of money tied up in guys on defense there's a lot of money tied up in Delvin Cook and Adam Thielen I think the team's going to look substantially different next year I'm not a Kirk Cousins hater by any means I think he's perfectly fine mediocre quarterback or good quarterback the problem is in a salary cap league so much of their cap is tied into him and they have so many other deficiencies now on defense that I would prefer not to see them extend him again. Um, Essentially you're kicking money down the road. He will be an effective quarterback probably till he's 38, 39, whatever. So there's nothing wrong with extending him, but you're continuing to keep that cap tied so heavily to your quarterback when you need help elsewhere. The problem is I don't know what their plan is and I don't know if they know what their plan is, for a successor. I don't know if they go try to trade for Trey Lance. I don't know if they think that Nick Mullins is fine to be a stopgap. They don't have the draft capital. At least they only have four picks this year and they don't pick till 23rd. You're not going to get a top quarterback with that. So I don't really know where they go, but I think that the team will look drastically different next year. I think there's going to be a lot of fan favorites, Cook, Thielen, Harrison Smith, Eric Kendricks. I would not be shocked if all of those guys are gone. Yeah, maybe history will repeat itself a little bit with some 
uh, old old Green Bay Packer quarterbacks finding their way to Minnesota for a year or two. I think that after a, stopping in New York as well. Yeah, after exactly, which is very possible. That's actually a very good point. Um, but I, I do believe you can win with uh, Kirk Cousins. My problem is the same thing with Dak Prescott. I believe you can win with Dak Prescott, but when you have so much money tied into them, it makes it harder to win with them because you have to surround guys like that with such pieces. Which is why San Francisco is so successful. They don't. They don't have a top flight quarterback. They don't have they're using Brock Purdy. And Brock Purdy's not as good as Kirk Cousins. He's not as good as Dak Prescott, but because they don't pay him so much, they're able to have this outstanding. So I completely agree with you. Now I'm gonna ask you a little bit something to cater to my uh Chicago people. You're a little scared of Kirk or you a little scared of Justin Fields? Just, just a little bit. You just a little scared of Justin Fields. I was not in uh, whatever whatever the first game was, week four or whatever yeah, that sure. was, he looked pretty rough still mm-hmm. then. As as the season went on, he looked good. Um, I, I don't think either team, well, clearly neither team had much to play for in week 18 because we didn't play anyone and neither did the Bears. Um, but Thank you for the number one pick, by the way. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> and thank the Texans for trying to win a game that, Lovey Smith, any- our guy. Yeah. We love him. We love um, that guy. <laughs> but I th- no, I think Justin Fields has a chance to be a solid quarterback. They need to put some pieces around him. There's Chase Claypool seriously wasn't it, or obviously wasn't it. But um no, I think I think Justin Fields has a chance to be good. He probably needs to take a few less hits. Um, but that'll come with age too. Absolutely. Uh do you get into any other sports besides baseball and football, or are you pretty much just kind of stick to those two? Uh, I I, I watched the wild. Um, It it was fun when the wild and the Blackhawks had a, had a fun rivalry there for a while when the Blackhawks were winning Stanley cups, Caprice off is a lot of fun to watch. Um, So I'll watch the wild. I'll watch the Timberwolves, but they've been such a horribly run franchise for so long. Anthony Edwards is a, is a blast. Um, I wish they had a better team to highlight him. I'm not a huge cap fan. I think, they should move on and try to build around Ant. Um, but yeah, baseball, football is bread and butter. Very interesting. I would make fun of the whole Minnesota sports scene for the wild Blackhawks thing, but I'm actually not a Blackhawks fan. I'm a Devils fan. <laughs> and the reason I'm a Devils fan is because of Zach Parisi. So for the longest <laughs> time, um, the wild were my second favorite team. So I actually like the wild way more than I like. I still root for the wild over the Hawks to this day, but I'm Chicago and every other sport, but I can't make fun of the hockey just because if I had to pick the wild would have won all those series. So, but I love Kaprizov. Oh, he's a joy to watch, but I can't thank you enough for coming on our show. This has been an absolute pleasure. I'm going to try so hard not to get completely annoyed with your account this upcoming summer. And I'm sure you're going to not try very hard to get annoyed with my account. Cause I fully plan on making fun of the twins just a little bit, but it is all in good fun. I love Minnesota. People always ask me, you know, you, I've been to a couple cities. Hey, what's the, your favorite? I'm like, okay, Nashville beside Chicago, Nashville is numero uno it is one of the funnest places i've ever been to broadway i could spend a year on broadway and it'll never get old you just keep reliving the same day over and over again the twin cities are a close second i love coming there in the summertime i don't yes it's it's too cold it's cold here in chicago i don't need to leave cold for cold if i'm going on vacation in the winter i'm going to florida or arizona california something like that but i love minnesota i love you guys have six sports teams i will never admit that I, you know, enjoy watching them when they're not playing Chicago teams, but I surely do. And I can't thank you enough for coming on our show. 
No problem. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. And maybe for a big series, we'll have a lot more heated discussion over the summer on the show. That works. All right. We'll talk to you later, Ted. Thank you so much for coming on our show. Everyone, thank you. Make sure you follow Ted at TL Schwerz on Twitter. Did I say that right? Correct. Yep. TL Schwerz on Twitter. Make sure you follow him. Follow Twins Daily. Read all his stuff. Read his tweets. Don't get too angry. And we will send you (laughs) to a quick commercial break. Hey everyone, want to let you know that Danny Shimon and Neil Stopchinski are co-hosting a private draft talk party. That's right, it's private. For 90 minutes, you can join the Draft on Tap co-host and get the type of quality draft talk you yearn for as much as I yearn for my maker's mark. You lead the discussion. Talk about your favorite prospect and get Danny and Neil's analysis. If you want, share your favorite mock with the guys or bring up a prospect off everyone's radar. The cost is only a $10 donation, or as we say here at the barroom, a $10 cover charge. You'll get 90 minutes of your personalized draft talk and even get a copy of the video to share with your friends. Now, there are only seven slots available. That's right, only seven, so you must act fast. What you need to do is email me at aldo at bearsbarroom.com. Tell me you want to party with the guys, and I'll get you the information you need. The party is Wednesday, March 1st at 8 p.m. Central, so don't hesitate. It's only a $10 donation, the cost of a beer and a shot of whiskey. A beer and a shot of whiskey price to talk with those draft gurus? You better believe it. You, I mean, listen, I'm covering the Chicago Bears for the fan-sided network. I'm covering the Jacksonville Jaguars for the fan-sided network. Black and teal, Doe Windy City, you need to be following those. I promise that a good portion of the knowledge that I come up with for my pieces for those websites is going to come from the great minds of Danny Shimon and Neil Stopchinski. I am so looking forward. They could take my $10. I'll pay them 20. I can't wait to get all in on all that kind of stuff. I'm going to let other people go in and be a part of the show. I get to go on the show, you know, whenever I come on these shows, I'll let other people have those opportunities, but I'm for sure paying $10 for that coverage. I cannot wait to hear what they have to say. I'm also looking forward to hearing some outside perspective of people I might have never met before on prospects they might be interested in here and there. So very much looking forward to that. I can't wait. Make sure you email at aldo at bearsbarroom.com in order to 
get yourself involved. It is going to be a blast. Football offseason is upon us. We have three football games left. Okay? And listen. I'm a big fan of the Pardon My Take podcast. It's the number one sports podcast in the world on Barstool Sports. Big Cat, PFT, Hank, they they have this saying. The NFL season is like a big sandwich. And the beginning of the sandwich is really, really good. We all love the sandwich. It's a good sandwich throughout the entire thing. But they put just a little extra meat, the better quality vegetables, better sauces at the end of the sandwich. The end of the sandwich is just a little bit better. We have that premier bite of the sandwich coming up this Sunday and then three Sundays from now for the Super Bowl. Oh, my mouth is watering thinking about that sandwich. And then after that, we will get right into our draft coverage. I'm very much looking forward to it. Championship Sunday is upon us. We talked about it on Bar Down Talking Hockey yesterday. Yeah, I mean, I don't host a football show on this network. Might have to change that soon because pretty much all of my football takes have been right this season, unlike last season. So I'm just totally joking about that. But I mean, listen. I can't recall being more excited for a championship Sunday game than I am for the Cincinnati Bengals against the Kansas City Chiefs. Patrick Mahomes looked like an absolute dog in practice yesterday, even though his ankle is having an issue. I'm watching Pat McAfee show today, hence the dog comment um, fresh in my head. Patrick Mahomes... He apparently had a high ankle sprain before, and Chuck Pagano was a guest host on the, um, obviously, former Bears defensive coordinator, Chuck Pagano. He was a host on the Pat McAfee show today. Obviously, him and McAfee have a relationship. He was the coach of the Colts, whatever, um, the head coach of the Colts. When you have a high ankle sprain once, your muscles kind of like, they heal, but when you get another high ankle sprain... I guess the tension, the issue, the the strain isn't quite as bad the second, third, fourth time for a high ankle sprain. It's always the first one is the very worst, and that could be helping Patty Mahomes with his recovery podcast. That's coming from Chuck Pagano, who stated that he heard it from doctors who are smarter than him from when he was in the league. So high ankle sprains, they could be tricky, but according to him, the second one for Patrick Mahomes isn't going to be quite as bad as any first one that he's dealt with in his life, and that's obviously great news for Kansas City Chiefs fans as they get set to take on the Cincinnati Bengals. What a quarterback matchup that is. I've seen Joe Burrow play in person with LSU, and he was just as good then as he is now. I am 0% surprised seeing him on Championship Sunday for the second year in a row. I think that is going to be a marvelous game. Yesterday on Bar Down Talking Hockey, I picked um, Burrow and the Bengals to win, but I am not sure about it. I am as least sure as I've been about a championship game and a lot. And listen, I'm all equally as unsure about, I probably say this every year. Cause like, duh, it's hard to pick the championship Sunday. Cause like they're supposed to be the two best teams in the conference playing each other. But I mean, the chiefs, man, they haven't been back to the super bowl since 2020. And I'm a little surprised 2020, not it's the 2019 season, but 2020 super bowl. Um, uh, they have just been magnificent for all this time, but they haven't been able to win the AFC championship game since then, obviously losing to the uh, Bengals last year and they lost the Super Bowl. They, yeah, they, I guess they didn't win that. They won the Super Bowl in the 2020 year and then lost it in 2021. I'm stupid. We talk about that on the show a lot, um, but they lost to the Bucks, obviously, 
Um, but man, those Chiefs, I, I it's hard to pick against them. Burrow, so good, right? Like he's elevated himself. He's right there with Patty Mahomes for top quarterback in the NFL. Josh Allen took a little bit of a step back these last couple weeks. In my opinion, I would take Joe Burrow all day, every day over pretty much everyone except for Mahomes. And we'll see. I'm very much looking forward to that game over in the NFC. Um, the Philadelphia Eagles, the Eagles are getting ready to host the San Francisco 49ers. I think it's been obvious that those are the two best teams in the NFC for five, six, seven, maybe even eight weeks now, like about Thanksgiving. I think we started to really realize that those are the two best teams. The Eagles kind of from day one were looking like that, but the 49ers have really elevated themselves. They went with Trey Lance. They ended up with Garoppolo. Both of them hurt. Now they got Brock Purdy, Mr. Irrelevant out of Iowa state. Um, just an interesting story. They are another hard game to pick because I'm watching my good friend, Colin Coward do his show on Fox sports. Um, one FS one, and he's ranking the top 10 players in the game. And there were a couple Eagles in there, but man, most of them were 49ers and the 49ers roster is just so, so good, but they have Brock Purdy who didn't look that great last week against the Dallas Cowboys, but he was able to find a way to get the win. The Eagles have Jalen hurts. Who's probably going to come in second place for the most valuable player in the NFL, only to Patrick Mahomes, who I think is going to win it. Um, that could be the difference, right? If the 49ers have a slightly better roster, but the Eagles have the quarterback with a still pretty damn good roster, that could be the difference too. I picked the 49ers yesterday on bar down talking hockey. Uh, I'm not confident with that pick either. If the Eagles played the chiefs in the super bowl, I would be 0% surprised. I literally think any of the possible combinations for the super bowl is something that could happen. But, man, I'll tell you, I'm very much looking forward to Championship Sunday, and there's no better place to watch coverage for Championship Sunday than here at the Barroom Network and reading about it at the different fan-sided networks as well. I know Arrowhead Addict is getting ready to cover the Chiefs very, very well. I'm drawing blanks. Stripe Hype is the Bengals. Um, I'm drawing a blank on the Eagles and the 49ers, though. I'm going to have to figure that out because I'd like to promote them as well. But, man, we do great stuff covering our teams and make sure you are reading, watching, following along. We have another guest coming on our show here in a couple minutes. This I haven't done this very often. I've done it once or twice having multiple guests on the show. But most of the time it's having one guest live and one pre-recorded. This actually might be the first time I've had two live guests on the show at the same time. So Crosstown Crosstalk is going to be a little bit longer than it usually is during the offseason. But, hey. That's what we live for. Baseball's coming up. I'm having a show basically about the two teams I don't cheer for very often. We First, we talked about the Minnesota Twins, who are probably coming into this year right there with the Guardians as the number one rival in the division. And then the Chicago Cubs, the other team in town. I have a very good guest that I'm getting ready to introduce. We're going to have Paul of Crawley's Cubs Kingdom coming in to talk to us about the Chicago Cubs and what's been going on with them this offseason. I am very much looking forward to this conversation following a wonderful conversation with Twins Ted. One thing I wanted to touch with before we, you know, bring him on, and we have a couple topics to kill time until he gets here at 3.05 p.m., Mike Clevenger. I mean, really? What are we doing here? Mike Clevenger is being investigated for domestic abuse of the mother of his 10-month-old child, and the White Sox haven't cut him yet. They're not going to make a comment until due process is figured out. But the girl literally posted photos of, like, her, the marks and, 
you know, the kid getting used chewing tobacco thrown at him, at, at it. I don't know if it's a boy or a girl to be truthfully honest with you, but like we, I don't need to see Mike Clevenger pitch for the White Sox. I just don't. There are plenty better options out there. And listen, even not, even if he was a superstar, I'd be saying the same thing. He used to be a superstar and the White Sox were hoping that he could get back to that. But I, I just don't need to see Clev pitch for the White Sox. I don't. I have no interest in it. Obviously, I will watch the White Sox regardless in 2023. That's my team. That's what I do. But um, not looking forward to watching him pitch if they don't cut him before the season starts at all. I just can't believe that it's even a question in some people's mind. Like, you know, I, he's friends with Bauer. Like, we know what Bauer did. Like, I just it, – it all – the dots are all connected for me. I have no interest in seeing – Clevenger play for the White Sox at all. And as we put on the screen, Olivia Feinstead, who accused Clevenger of physical and emotional abuse towards his three children and their two mothers, herself included, she agreed to be named in an interview with The Athletic. And listen, The Athletic ain't putting this stuff out there if they're not sure. And I just, I respect The Athletic. I respect this woman for coming forth and putting, her, attaching her name to it. I don't respect Mike Clevenger. I really never respected Mike Clevenger because he, even during the COVID year, he didn't follow any of the protocols. He thought he was above everyone. And listen, even if in 2023 we understand that maybe some of those protocols didn't make sense or they weren't effective or whatnot, that's your opinion for your own day. But in the moment, why wouldn't you just do what you can to protect your neighbor, protect your teammates, protect your family? Like I, it just all made no sense to me in the moment. And I will still stand by that to this day. Um, if we find out in five years that masks were completely irrelevant, I will still feel comfortable knowing that I wore them because it was in the intention of my neighbor and my friends and my family and myself, you know, people around me, like that's all I end up in Clevenger. He just didn't care. And so this story just matches his, you know, historic nature of not being a very good dude. Again, no interest in watching him pitch for the White Sox whatsoever. I hope they cut him. Um, there are plenty of other options out there. Michael Waka and Zach Granke both had higher wars than Clevenger in 2022, and they're both sitting there as free agents. There's no reason to bring one of those guys in. Garrett Crochet's coming back from injury. Wrote that on SouthsideShowdown.com. You could use him. You could ease him back into being a starter, similar to how they did with Michael Kopech. Davis Martin made lots of spot starts last year. For the White Sox, he is somebody that could um, come in and make starts for them as well. Obviously, you have the big four of Dylan Cease, Lucas Giolito, Lance Lynn, and Michael Kopech. Those are, that's going to be the top four coming into this year. Hopefully they stay healthy. Hopefully they all pitch to their potential. It could be a relatively great rotation um, from that point, from those four's point of view, but I don't know. We'll see what happens with this story. I've been reporting on it for SouthsideShowdown.com. Make sure you go read about all that. All the pitchers, I believe, could take his spot if they were to do the right thing and cut him. Um, listen, if it does come out that this, like, if he's what they say he is, the White Sox have no choice. I mean, I know if I, I think they should do it now because there's just no reason to have this guy on your roster right now. It's not a good look for them. They've lost all trust in their fan base for the most part and have quite frankly, over the last two years made it incredibly difficult to root for them as a franchise. I can't stop doing this drug. That is being a white Sox fan. Nobody's expecting me to, and no one feels sorry for me because there are other teams that have been way worse in history, but like, man, you have such an opportunity here with some of the talent that's on this team and you're just letting it all go to waste. It makes no sense to me, but 
I don't know. We'll figure out what happens with the White Sox. This hasn't been a very White Sox-centric show. We have a couple of those coming up in the next couple weeks that I'm looking forward to, but right now we're just going to move on. Scott Rowland, we touched on it with Twins Ted, is going to the Hall of Fame. We touched on it with Twins Ted because I wanted to talk about Joe Maurer making it to the Hall of Fame himself in a couple years, but um, or next year possibly, but Scott Rowland, one of the best defensive and offensive third baseman of his generation, makes it into the Hall of Fame with a 76%. Todd Helton comes up just short with 72%. For those who don't know, you need 75% of the votes in order to make it into the Major League Baseball Hall of Fame. Rowland will be the only one voted in from this class that was voted for last week or over the last couple months, I guess I should say. The reveal came out this week. Um, Scott Rowland, great player. I have a Scott Rowland memory. When Scott Rowland was on the Phillies, in the early 2000s I was in t-ball and I was on the Phillies and I remember he was I was number 16 and I remember looking up who was number 16 on the Phillies and I saw that their best player was Scott Rowland he wore number 17 are you kidding me? I was one digit off of having the same number as the best player on the Phillies. I remember that being kind of annoying to me. Obviously, he changed it to 27 when he ended up with the Cardinals. But, man, those days with the Phillies, he was one of my favorite players in the whole league. I loved Scott Rowland, and I'm very excited that he is now, after all these years, in the Major League Baseball Hall of Fame. Congratulations to him. Sox are interested in a Kansas City Royals second baseman, according to Mike Rosen or Ken Rosenthal of The Athletic, uh, formerly MLB Network, ESPN, blah, 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 blah. Kansas City Royal second baseman, uh, Nicky Lopez from Naperville, Illinois. Obviously, a local kid has a chance to play for the White Sox if they were to make this move for him. As of right now, they plan on using um, – uh, they have Bobby Witt Jr. to play shortstop, and they have Michael Massey to play second base. That would make – uh, Nicky Lopez available, obviously, the Naperville, Illinois kid. He went to Naperville Central. The White Sox could use a second baseman. He wouldn't be a backup or a bench piece playing for the White Sox, so they should bring him in. I honestly think it would be a great trade. He's a very good fielder. He's not that great of a hitter, but honestly, does he have higher upside than a Romy Gonzalez or a Lenin Sosa? I absolutely believe he does. Um, a little birdie, My one of my sources told me that instead of it being Nicky Lopez, though, it could end up being Michael Massey instead because the Royals aren't positive about him in the long term and the White Sox are, they'll try anything. Uh, Michael Massey's not from Naperville, Illinois, but he did go to Brother Rice. So also some local flair from him as well. I think he'd be a great fit for the White Sox coming into the 2023 season, but we'll see if the White Sox are interested in upgrading the second base position. I have been told they will not pursue this, but I think things kind of have changed a little bit surrounding the White Sox ever since the Clevenger news came out. They got to do something to make themselves look better, right? I mean, you signed a domestic abuser and you didn't know about it. Not a lot of people are going to believe that. I don't know what my stance is on it. I'm going to take a long time to really review it and discuss it internally with my own brain because um, it's the brain I trust the most and we'll figure it out. But for right now, yeah, it would make the White Sox look better if they made a move that made it at least seem like they were trying to improve their team. Hopefully that's the case with second base. We touched on the Luis Arise trade with Twins Ted. 
Obviously, that is a significant move in the scope of Major League Baseball. They plan on having him play second base, which, as Ted pointed out, is a little bit of a surprise. I thought they'd have him play first and keep Jazz Chisholm Jr. at second base and then use Gene Segura, who they signed at shortstop. But they are going to use Chisholm in center field. It was actually Chisholm's idea to do that. And they're going to use a rise at second, a little bit surprising. And Gene Segura is going to play shortstop. So the Miami Marlins trying to compete in one of the hardest divisions in major league baseball. Of course, the Atlanta Braves, 2021 world series champions, Philadelphia Phillies, 2022 national league champions. And then the Mets are supposed to be the best team of them all nationals. They stink. They're not going to be in contention at all, but the Miami Marlins, they're going to try and be a thorn in everyone's side this year. And the Luis arise trade proves that with a couple other signings that they've made so far this offseason. they're not going to be as bad as people think. I don't think they are competing for a playoff spot in the national league anytime soon though. So with that, it is time. We have our next big guest coming on our show. Um, I'm very excited to do this interview, talk about the Chicago Cubs a little bit here on our show. And we are going to do that right after this commercial break. I, I was one of those guys where I needed a little bit of motivation to fight. Like when I, Fraser McLaren, there was always that, you know, battle there. I, I really enjoyed fighting him and going against him. But then other fights... I just couldn't get up for it. Like you fight Cam Jansen ten times, and it's like, Cam, you know, oh, you're not, man. you're not hitting me, Cam. Like I, <laughs> I get it. You're gonna like two minutes, and you're not gonna hit me once. But I don't know. Some guys fought, would fight angry all the time, but I just didn't know how they did it. So it's funny that you brought up West Garth because I was gonna ask you about him because you were in a Blackhawks uniform when you fought him against the LA Kings, and that's one of my favorite fights, I think. You just opened him up, man. He was he was bleeding, and it was it was a great fight. But do you have a favorite fight, or is that just, like, not something that hockey players No, no, about? my... If you haven't seen that interview with John Scott, former Chicago Blackhawk, Minnesota Wild, Buffalo Sabres, San Jose Shark, Arizona Coyote, Montreal Canadian, you need to go to the Barroom Network's YouTube channel, Facebook page, wherever you could find podcasts, Apple, Spotify. Go check it out right now. It is one of the coolest things we've ever done on this network. I'm very proud of it. You need to go listen to it. It's outstanding. Next on the show today, we are going to talk to somebody who is an outstanding person to get Chicago Cubs content from. Obviously, the Cubs have had one of the bigger off-seasons of any team in the National League. They're one of the talks of Chicago sports right now because of some of these moves. Obviously, I'm talking about Paul from Crawley's Cub Kingdom. Paul, how are we doing? Doing all right, man. How are you doing today, Vinny? Very, very good. So excited to have you. Thank you so much for joining us. Oh, no problem. Glad to be on here. Always glad to talk Cubs. Absolutely. That's a really cool Cubs head. I've never seen anything like it before. Yeah, stadium giveaway this last year. I'm a, I'm a big collector of the old bobbleheads and all that stuff. I wish the Cubs did what the White Sox did and give us all the stuff in a box at the end of the year, make my life easier. Yeah, that would certainly that would certainly be something. The White Sox do a good job with that. It's one of the only things they do a good job with these days. But um, you know, when we talk about the Cubs, they've obviously made a lot of moves this last offseason, but We'll get to that in just a minute. 2022 was a very interesting year for the Cubs. They obviously started off not too great. Things weren't going very well. And then in the middle of the summer, it kind of seemed like something started to click a little bit. By the end of the year, they were playing much better baseball by the time the season ended. Describe 2022 from your point of view. 
Yeah, like you said, it's a, it's a Jekyll and Hyde season. It started out bad. Um, you know, they lost four-fifths of their rotation. You lose four-fifths of your rotation, you're not really going to do much. Uh, the You know, on pencil, they were supposed to have Wade Miley, Drew Smiley, jo- uh, Hendricks, Kyle Hendricks, and uh, Marcus Stroman were going to be part of that rotation. And every one of those guys went down for a good significant chunk of time. Uh, Wade Miley never pitched much for the Cubs. Smiley got healthy in the second half. Kyle Hendricks never came back, had the worst injury he's had of his career. And um, Marcus Stroman was in and out with all sorts of various ailments. So right away, you had a lot of guys that were thrust into a middle of uh, roles that they were not really ready for. Um, But like you said, as the season started to go along and guys got healthier and other guys started to kind of uh, really develop into the roles, uh, you know, that's when things kind of started to change a little bit for the Cubs. You had some surprises uh, with, you know, guys like Justin Steele. You know, if it's one thing that you always, you know, Cub had, Cub fans have to grudgingly tip their hats to White Sox fans, is you guys can always develop pitching pretty well. And we've always struggled with that. That was the biggest problem with the core that we had that won the World Series. They couldn't develop pitching, but now we're starting to see that the pitching development's a lot better. So we have a lot of young, good pitchers that are uh, coming up and then they got some good experience last year. Uh, I mentioned Justin Steele, Caleb Killiam, Hayden Wesniski, a couple other guys that really kind of start to do it. And then, uh, you know, you had some young guys start to kind of uh, have some pretty good games as far as uh, Christopher Morrell, positionally speaking. So uh, like I said, a tale of two seasons, but, uh, you know, hopefully going better uh, 2023. One of the great pillars of the World Series champion, Chicago Cubs, Wilson Contreras. He's the last one of the position players to kind of make their way out of the core. And he goes to the big rival, the St. Louis Cardinals. A lot of people upset about it. But at the same time, he's a guy who was just so good for the franchise for so long. Can you describe what Wilson Contreras means to the Cubs fans? And are you excited to see him back? as a road member next year. Well, you know, I wish nothing best for the will for Wilson when he's not playing for the Cardinals or or when he's not playing the Cubs, you know, uh, he's a great guy. He he did a lot for the community. Uh, Cub fans like him because he wore his heart on his sleeve. And again, you know, now we're down to Kyle Hendricks and and there is question that if he's going to be healthy this year and if he's not, he's his contracts up. So this may be it. We may not see another, that, that whole 2016 team would be gone if Kyle does not pitch this year. Um, with Wilson though, I think they're kind of going a different direction and, and they're going, I think more the Houston route where they're really valuing pitching and defense. And Wilson is a really good hitting catcher. Um, but some of his pitch framing, game calling, stuff like that are are certain things that he kind of got dinged in. So run prevention as far as pitching and defense and, and White Sox fans know this well, because our general manager is Carter Hawkins, who came from Cleveland, right? What does Cleveland always do? They always build around pitching and defense. So I think that's the route that the Cubs are going to do is, is that if you looked at the numbers of the ERAs or the whips or any whatever you know metric you want to use when Wilson was catching versus Jan Gomes, everybody looked other than Marcus Stroman, I think was the only one that was slightly better with Wilson. All of the guys like ERA was like a point lower when Jan Gomes was pitching, catching. So, I mean, I think that's kind of the direction that they're looking. So they got Jan Gomes, they got Tucker Barnhart, um, you know, so I don't think that's going to make up for Wilson's offense, but as far as defense and game calling, like I said, that's, that that's, I think really kind of, kind of the mantra this year is run prevention. And so that's why I think Wilson's no longer a Cub. They didn't want to pay five years. I think it was close to $85 million, $90 million. And, and God bless Wilson for getting that. And, and, and he is someone I'm going to, you know, he is someone you're going to miss because he did 
truly care about the city, truly cared about the team. He started with the Cubs when he was 14 years old. You know what I mean? It was his whole life. Um, first at bat in 2016, first pitch, he hits a home run. So how can you not, you know, have a, a soft spot? I will never feel, I will never disparage any of the 2016 Cubs. I, I, I said, I waited a whole lifetime. My dad waited a whole lifetime. I had relatives who never saw it. So I will never disparage any member of the 2016 team. I don't care what. So I hope Wilson does the best he can, but just not against the Cubs. For sure. That makes total sense. And a guy who Cubs fans have seen play on the road against them a lot over the last couple of years has been Cody Bellinger. Obviously, he was one of the MVP caliber players in the late 2010s there. And then things started to kind of tail off for him a little bit. And he ends up becoming a free agent because the Dodgers were moving in a different direction from Bellinger. And the Cubs swooped in and picked him up. I do think there are people who are probably undervaluing what he could bring to a team. And there are probably people overvaluing what he could bring to a team based on his resume from before he started to fall off a little bit. What are you expecting from Bellinger this year, Paul? At, at the, at the very least, you know, it's, it's like I told you about before run prevention. And so the Cubs just had, you know, the pitching looked a lot better, but the defense last year and the hitting were not there. And so they've addressed the defense, the defense, especially up the middle. When you talk about having Gomes and then I'm sure we'll talk about Swanson moving Nico to second. You got a great double play combo. And now you got Cody Bellinger at first. The Cubs really were, I mean, Cody Bellinger at center. The Cubs really didn't have a real center fielder last year. If you take a look at what they had, it was just really kind of, just plugging people in there. And I'm sorry, you know, center field is not a position that you can just kind of plop somebody in. It's not, you know, left field or something. You know what I mean? It's, you know, so especially at Wrigley field, it's really tricky. So like Christopher Morrell's a kid, I said, you know, who played last year in center and uh, you know, he's not a center fielder. He's more of an infielder, more on the left side of the infield. So I would say that even if Cody Bellinger doesn't even give you, let's say he's just continues to be bad offensively you're still going to get a game or two more wins this season just based on defense alone because the Cubs didn't get any hitting from their center fielder last year. Trust me, it couldn't get any worse. So you're going to have much better. You're going to have gold club caliber defense that he's going to bring to the team. So, and, and, and here's the thing about the Cubs is that their farm system is I think one of the most underrated in baseball. And especially they have developed a phenomenal outfield core all throughout the minor leagues. So when you take a look at it, our number one prospect for so long was Brennan Davis. He was supposedly going to come up last year and he had a, a weird nerve issue in his back. It's been taken care of, but they're going to start him in Iowa. Um, they have Alexander Canario who they got in the trade for Chris Bryant. He led the minor leagues with 36 home runs last year for the Cubs. And they have PCA who is ranked in the top 25 baseball America prospects. And, um, uh, MLB pipeline, I think had him at four or five. So they have a lot of center fielders. So if Cody, you know, when, whenever those guys are ready, let's say Cody Bellinger is having an awesome season, then you flip him. You know what I mean? Cause he walk, he walks at the end of the year. It's a one year prove it deal essentially. So if Cody Bellinger can just be phenomenal and your team's really not in it, well then maybe you take a look at flipping him and trying to get some more prospects and building up that system. If he's doing really well, then who knows? Maybe you try to make a run with it and see what happens. But it's it's I'm in a much happier position. The Cubs are in a better position this year than last year. Absolutely. I completely agree. And even if he hits poorly, as people say, he's still hitting 15 to 20 home runs while mm -hmm. playing this outstanding defense. So I'm happy for Bellinger. I think it's a good deal for the Cubs and you nailed it. We are going to touch Dan B. Swanson. Obviously, it was my next question. Um, you, you preached defense. The Cubs mm -hmm. are trying to become a better defensive team. Dan yeah. B. Swanson 
he really didn't have a breakout offensive year. I mean, he was okay, but last year was the first year he was like really, really good at with his bat. But it's always been about the glove with Dansby Swanson. He was the ninth hitter in the World Series in 2021 for the Atlanta Braves. Like it hasn't always been what it is now with his bat. And we don't even know if he'll be able to repeat that again, but he'll be pretty good. Everybody assumes. And the glove is right there. What did you make of the Cubs spending all this money on one shortstop like that? And you're probably right there with me being a great deal. Yeah. You know, I mean, when you took a look at, I mean, gosh, you were looking $300 million deals, you know, and you're talking 10, 11 years and you're going like, Oh boy, you know, for Cub fans, we, we gotta, we gotta, we got that, Jason Hayward contract that like scares the bejesus out of us of giving someone that much money. And then, you know, that's the thing. I don't care what anybody says. Oh, just bench him. Most teams don't bench a guy making 25, 30, 35 million a year. I mean, that's going to cost you your job if you're the GM. So, um, you know, Dansby Swanson, I'll be the first to admit it. It wasn't my first choice, but I think when everything kind of panned out and I, and we all kind of took a look at it, the other thing that he brings and what you're going to see with this team and a lot of the free agent signings that the Cubs made this year, whether it was Cody Bellinger, whether it was uh Dansby Swanson, whether it was Tucker Barnhart, whether it was Jamison Tyone. Um, and, and then most recently uh, Trey Mancini and Eric Hosmer. These are great clubhouse guys. These are guys that come from a winning pedigree. And I think that that was something that was sorely lacking last year was leadership. Um, I think Wilson is a good guy. Like I said, wears his heart on his sleeve. But I think as far as the you know people taking charge in the clubhouse, certain expectations of how you play the game, I think that this is they've done a really good job threading the needle. They haven't, you know, other than Dansby, and the Cubs don't have really anyone in the shortstop system that's you know coming up in the near future. Other than Dansby, you know what I mean. All these are more short-term deals. So you're not blocking any of your young players, and when those young pl- players do come up. They're going to have a, an experienced veteran locker room that's going to kind of make sure that they're playing the game the right way, preparing the right way, doing all the right things. So with Dansby, his press conference, all of us kind of like, we're like, whoa, this guy, you know, cause you watch, you know, you watch games and this and that, but you know, if you're not a, a fan of the team, I'm not watching Atlanta Braves post game conference, you know what I mean? Like press conferences and stuff like that. Listening to Dansby talk and how much, how intense the guy is and how much he wants to win. And then hearing from other people that are plugged into the Atlanta scene that, that again, just, just the talk about how his presence in the locker room, it's, it's to me very exciting. I'm glad we got him. We didn't deal with the Korea nonsense. Uh, you know, he, you know, like you said, defensively, he's really what we need. And not only that, now you move Nico Horner, who was, if you look by any metrics, absolutely robbed by not being nominated for a golden glove. That guy made amazing plays defensively some in some areas rated better than Dansby Swanson. So now you move him to second where he was a gold glove nominee prior. He's never won one yet. Um, but you know, Nico, now you got this great tandem, double play tandem up at short and center. And I'm really excited about it. Short and, and second. So, absolutely. And you know, Horner moves to second. He was the starting shortstop for the Chicago Cubs. I mean, being a starting shortstop for any of the 30 Major League Baseball teams, that's like a dream. Everyone wants to be the starting shortstop. That's like the cool position. He had that. And then the Cubs make this big free agency signing, bring a guy from the outside, and Nico Horner's just like, yeah, I'll go back to second. I'm a team guy. I'm, and he, like, seems excited about it. And I think that shows the ultimate professionalism. It shows the ultimate team guy. That's got to feel good for Cubs fans. He's going to be a fan favorite in everybody's hearts before you know it. He, he already is. Everyone loves Nico, man. And, 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 you know, it's weird because he didn't have the normal minor league trajectory. They had to call him up because they basically, God, was it like 20, 
2018, they basically all their shortstops got injured. Addison Russell, who was basically nothing at that point, got hit in the head and concussed, and they had to call him up. He was on his couch. His season was over. His minor league season was over. And I will say the one thing that to me was so impressive is that he just never looked overwhelmed, and that's what I think people really, truly like about him is that he played. plays with his heart on his sleeve you know he, he just he does all the little things and he never looks overwhelmed like he never looks like you know he, he the moment's too big for him and I think that's what people like about him kind of scrappy too <laughs> yeah absolutely I, I'm a big fan and first round pick the Cubs did a good job with that so what do you do with Madrigal because you have Swanson you have Horner at second Madrigal's not playing third I would assume he's certainly not playing first or the outfield so what do you do with him I don't know. You guys need a you guys need a second baseman, don't you? You got anything good in the in the minor leagues? You got anything in Charlotte? Yeah, we need, I, we need some uh, we need some pitching, some bullpen arms. Yeah, it wouldn't surprise me if they went for a move like that. And like, I could see the Cubs taking a flyer on a relief on a relief pitcher that like might be struggling or might have had a tough year, kind of like what they did with Cody Hoyer. They knew Cody Hoyer was awesome with the White Sox early, and then he was kind of having a tough twenty twenty one season. And the Cubs still acquired him anyway, and he was kind of good with them towards the end of the year than the Tommy John. But if they took a flyer on a guy like Joe Kelly, I mean, I don't know. There's there's yeah. lots of ways they could put together a package, mm -hmm. these two teams. There's not there really is no place on the team for Nick Madrigal, and and it will go down as one of the worst bobbleheads ever given out in Wrigley Field. Like why Nick Madrigal got a bobblehead, I don't know. Oh, before Ian Happ ever did. Ian Happ's never gotten one. But yeah, I don't I don't see Nick Madrigal, if he's on the Cubs, I don't see much happening, to be honest with you. Really quick side note. Is it because he came from the White Sox? That's why he got a bobblehead, you don't think? Yeah. I mean, I think he got one because he was a new player, but you're telling Ian Happ's been here since 2017. I get and it. He's never gotten a bobblehead. <laughs> and so, I mean, like when you talk about Marcus Stroman, that's a star. You know what I mean? Like yeah. he's an established star. Yeah, no doubt he gets a bobblehead, stuff like that. But Nick Madrigal is kind of like, eh, okay. Yeah, and Ian, Ian Happ's been there, and he's gone through some crap, too. He had to battle for that spot. He was kind of, in my opinion, he was treated mis, mistreated a little bit early on when he was stuck in AAA. Like, there was no reason he should have been in Iowa for that last year, right? Or is that is that a shared opinion? No, um, so he, he was, you know, he had his struggles. I think more than anything with Ian, um, you know, he would put up good halves. Do you get what I'm saying? First half would be good. Second half would be bad. Second sure. half would be bad. First half would be good. He went to Iowa for a little while. He wasn't happy about it, but you talk to him now. He says one of the best things that happened. He worked on his swing, uh, all that stuff, you know. So I think that um, with Ian Happ, it's, it's just the question of putting together a full season. And he worked tremendously on his defense. He was not that good at defense. And last year he won a gold glove. So kudos to him, man. And you take a look at it. I don't think he – I mean – I don't know if he's going to be with the Cubs the whole year. I don't think he'll be with the Cubs in 2024, but you know, you got to be impressed with everything that he did. Absolutely. And so you got Hap. We touched on him in left field, Bellinger in center field, Suzuki's in right field. I think it's a pretty good outfield and it, it would have been decent. Even if you had somebody else in center, maybe, I don't know. They did have some issues last year, but I'm wondering what do you make of this outfield defensively? And then a lot of them could bring some stuff offensively too, which kind of is starting to build the picture of a pretty good Cubs team. Yeah. You, you know, you left and right are anchored right now, you, you know, happen and Suzuki. And so I think with Saya, I think you're going to see a big jump in production. Um, last year, obviously was his first year away from home. Uh, just trying to learn the league, trying to learn the stadiums. 
um, on the fly, the W podcast, which I host, you know, and, and I know you host other, you know, when you talk to athletes, sometimes there are a lot of little things you don't ever consider. Like, you know, I remember talking to some young pitchers, like I didn't know where the bullpen was. I didn't know where this is. There's so much to coming to, you know, just coming to the big leagues, but imagine coming from a different country, a different culture and having to learn all of those things. I think that that's really tough. And I was impressed with the job that Saya did. He had his ups and his downs. I have a feeling that this year we're going to see Saya really break out and that's going to be a lot of fun. Ian Happ, he, um, he had a strong year last year. He was obviously an all-star gold glove winner. Um, and he's playing for the next contract. He, this is his last year of arbitration eligibility. He will be a free agent in 2024. I do not think the Cubs will extend him. And I, and again, at this point, why, if you're Ian Happ, would you sign when you're that close to the market? You get what I'm saying? Unless you're totally blown away by the offer. You take a look at the free agent class of 2024, especially the hitting outfielders. Ian Happ is clearly one of the best out there, unless Cody Bellinger has a phenomenal bounce back year or something like that. But a lot of the guys that are going to be on the market were guys that are on one year prove it deals or older guys. So Ian Happ's looking to make a really good chunk of change. If he can have another good year, if he can, if he can back it up this year. Absolutely. Um, so we kind of touched on a little bit earlier in the show, the pitching Cubs haven't developed it as properly as we would have liked to see, but they're starting to work towards making that better two part question, rotation, bullpen. What are you expecting from both? Oh, I think it's going to be the strong suit of the Cubs. Um, I think the the Cubs rotation, I don't feel like they have a true number one, but I also feel that they have a lot of twos and threes. So normally, you know, like when you go through the season, you're like, oh gosh, let's just try to get a win. The number four pitcher, the number five pitcher. I think that the Cubs have just a lot of depth in pitching. And even God forbid, if we, if something happened like last year where you lose four fifths of the rotation, I think they're in a much better place to, uh, have guys step in and take those spots. So I think that the re- rotation and the bullpen is going to be their strength. I think you're going to see a lot of guys, um, you know, you, we're starting to see this more and more in baseball, just in general, where, where pitch starting pitchers, you know, go five, maybe six innings and then have someone come out of the bullpen for two, you know, two innings. And I think the Cubs are going to do that. I think they have a lot of guys that they're grooming to be starters that will kind of take those piggyback roles so, I mean, the, the main question right now is who's going to close for the Cubs. I think that's, that's the biggest question mark about it. But I think is, other than that, I, and, and what the Cubs have done over the last few years is what, you know, with, with their pitching infrastructures, they've shown that they've been able to cobble together a bullpen. So, you know, kind of sometimes they find these discarded parts and all of a sudden these guys have phenomenal seasons. You know, I think back to the uh, 2021 season where you had us, where you had Andrew Chafin have a comeback year and Craig Kimbrell had a good year. And uh, God, who was, uh, who's the guy we traded to you? Uh, uh, Tapera, Ryan Tapera. Ryan Tapera. Yeah. So, I mean, that was in 2021 and then 2022, they turn around and they have Chris Martin and Scott Efros and Dave Robertson. And they're able to, you know, they took all those bullpen pieces and were able to get good uh, returns on them. So I think whatever they're doing in the bullpen, I'm, I'm not too worried about it. I'm curious to see who the closers are. And I think with the Cubs minor league system, you're going to start to see guys coming up pitching that can hit triple digits, which you haven't seen um, with the Cubs in a long, long time. So I'm very, you know, you see that more and more baseball guys throwing 98, 99, hundred, a one one. I think you're going to start to see that in the Cubs system. And that's going to come through first through the bullpen. So um, 
we'll see what happens. We, there's a guy, Adbert Alzali, who was injured last year, and he has absolutely wicked stuff, but he just struggles. And I wonder if a bullpen role is not better suited to him. And so we'll see. He's a good possibility for the closer. Yeah, I thought Alzali was going to really take off after how good he was in the short season and then, you know, pretty good in 2021 as well, but it wasn't like that last year. Um, one thing I noticed about their free agent signings that they made this last year. So four out of the five big free agent signings, and they've made more signings here and there, but the five big ones, and you could correct me if you disagree or if you think I'm missing one, Bellinger, Swanson, Mancini, Hosmer, and I'm missing one now. I thought of the four of the five. I didn't write them Tell down. I should have. No, it wasn't Tyone. It, oh, Barnhart. Barnhart. It Tucker? was Barnhart that I was thinking of. Those were the five. Four of those five have won the World Series and yep. at different points. Do you think that's by design? Do you, are the Cubs trying to bring in a little extra experience for some of the younger players that are there? I think they're they're here to bring experience. And again, I, I kind of touched on this a little bit earlier, is that that locker room presence that was lacking last year. These are guys that have a pedigree. And so when you go into the clubhouse, I think it is going to be, um, you know, managers don't like to micromanage the clubhouse. Do you get what I'm saying? And so the, when, when David, you know, people don't realize this, but in 2016, David Ross, he wasn't a great player. What he was was a great leader in that locker room. He's the one that kept guys in line. He's the guy that sometime would bark at you. He's a guy who would put your, his arm around you. And that's what David Ross brought to the 2016 Cubs. And again, they're, they're, it's different when you're a player and you're on the field than when you're a manager. It's, it's different. It just is. And so I don't think they had any of those type of guys. They traded away a lot of guys. And I think that they needed to bring in some guys that were going to, um, again, sh tell the guys how it's going to be in the locker room, how they're supposed to be performing, how they're supposed to be preparing, what the expectations are. You have to have a winning mentality sometimes. And like, you know, as you brought up, all of these guys have that, 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 that background, that resume that shows winners. So, you know, I don't think any of these guys are going to be long-term Cubs for the majority of them other than Dansby. Um, but, but they're guys that can come in and make a difference and really, uh, you know, uh, we, I've listened to every press conference they've had and, and every one of those guys were asked about, you know, their influence on younger players and they brought up the players that kind of helped and influenced them. Right. And so they know what their role is. They know what their job is. And that's going to be really important as we get to the second half of the season and you start to wonder when, you know, like I mentioned, uh, Kevin Alcantara, I mentioned PCA, I mentioned Brendan Davis, Matt Mervis is a guy that's in MLB pipeline number seven for first baseman. There is a lot of young talent that is really kind of bubbling up. And so, you know, if these guys do start to make rosters, it's going to have, it's going to be good to have some of these guys out there. Um, and again, with a lot of these guys that you mentioned, they also are gold glovers and that's where that run, run prevention that I comes from. You know, when you talk about Bellinger and when you talk about, Barnhart and you talk about uh, uh, Hosmer those are you know I mean obviously Hosmer is not the defender he once was but he's still a guy that can uh, that can pick him you know what I mean yeah absolutely and I think that's a great thoughtful answer I actually couldn't agree with it more and you made me think of in the World Series when Anthony Rizzo was in a glass case of emotions and David Ross kind of like talked him through it. And I, you know, I'm sure they're hoping that they could get a little bit of that from some of these guys, obviously to a far less extent with their expectations of the season. And speaking of the expectations of the season, the national league is kind of tough right now. And I'm looking at it from like a grand scope of the entire NL. You figure that the Dodgers are going to win the NL West and 
one of those three monsters are going to win the NL East, talking about the Mets, Phillies, and Braves. And then the other two probably make it. The Padres probably make it. Do the Cubs have to win the Central Division to make the playoffs? I mean, it's tough sledding in the National League right now. It's tough sledding, and the other thing is that this is the first year that every team is going to play each other, right? So that kind of is like, oh, God, when you think about the NL East or even the NL West, you know what I mean? When you think about you know having to face the Padres and having to face the Dodgers and all those teams, it's going to be harder than normal. You're going to have a lot less games within the division, and let's be honest, the Cubs division's not that great. So when I look at, uh, you know, I would much rather play Pittsburgh than having to play more games against some of these other teams and, and some of these AL teams as well. So it's going to be tough. You know, St. Louis is looking really, really good as they always do. Uh, so, you know, I'm, I'm hoping that, you know, you never know, man. Sometimes you just get a little bit of magic. Like, you know, the, the, the biggest concern for Cub fans right now is where's the offense going to come from? Where, how are you going to put up the crooked number? You need a lot of things to go right. If Cody Bellinger comes back, if Eric Hosmer looks like he did, you know, you know, 2021, a lot of ifs and, you know, that's the thing. So if the, you know, one of the big things that the Cubs struggled with last year was base running. They were just absolutely abysmal on the bases, just dumb. And a lot of toot blands and all that stuff. So, um, I'm hoping that, uh, you know, they're working on that because they can't do that. They, they, they can't give up outs on the base paths and stuff like that if they're going to try to manufacture runs because I don't see a lot of guys hitting three-run homers all the time. This is going to have it to be a team that that's pesky and, and, and finds a way to get it done by being smart, and we'll see if the, the increased size of the bases helps out or what. But uh, that's what they're going to have to do if they're going to want to get some runs going. Absolutely. Paul, I wanted to ask you one more question before we head on out of here. Is there other sports you follow or is it just the Cubs? Do you No, man. I I I literally, you know, what do they, you know, what do they say? Uh what what do you do in the baseball offseason? I look out the window and wait for baseball season to start. I I absolutely give 100% of myself to this Cubs team and so I'm looking second the season's over and there's no more Cubs baseball. Well, what's going on in the Arizona Fall League? What's going on in the Dominican? Trying to kind of like, you know, I just to me I have to, I, I'm just a hundred percent all in. So I will watch other sports, bulls, Hawks, bears, etc. Um, obviously, but I like, like if you're asking me who the bears are going to take with the number one draft pick, I don't I have no clue. I don't watch college football, man. But when it comes to, to Cubs baseball, I mean, I, I live, breathe, eat, sleep Cubs baseball. And that's, that's been my passion and my joy forever. And I think that if I added any more teams to that kind of mix, my wife would divorce me. I respect that answer so much because, oh, I just love when people love a team as much as you love the Cubs. That makes me so happy, and I can't thank you enough for coming on our show. We're going to have to have you back when there's actually actual Cubs baseball to talk about. We're not talking about the same old boring, like, hey, what do you think of the Bellinger signing? Like, you know, the Dansby Swanson, he was sick with Atlanta. What do you think? Like, I can't wait till there's actual stuff to break down, and I'm right there with you. Maybe we'll have a little Crosstown special when that time arises. Yeah, let me know, Vinny, and we'll, we'll, we'll hook something up, and, uh, you know, let's see what happens on the south side of town. I know you guys uh, got some bad news this week but uh you never know man there's still a lot of talent on that team i mean god you know if eloy can just play like eloy every time he plays the cubs you guys will be in some good shape absolutely we don't have a bray you anymore hey, so. hey, 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 hey real quick i just want to ask okay let, let's let's you guys robbed us before we're going to give you nick madrigal and we want dylan cease back Okay. I don't think I don't think there's a baseball executive <laughs> past, present, future in on Mars anywhere in the world 
that would consider such a thing. Vinny, I will tell you too, though, is that somebody did this brilliant article. Why did Jose Obrey or why did Jose Quintana have such a bounce back year? They're not using the juice balls anymore. So when the Cubs got him from the White Sox, that was during the juice ball era, and he was giving up home runs that he wasn't giving with you guys. And now, now we're sitting here and, uh, now we're sitting here and now Jose Quintana, look at what he did last year. I'm like, God bless it. We gave away Eloy. He, I knew Eloy didn't bother me as much because I knew that the only role he really had was DH. I saw him in the field and I was like, Oh God, this guy is just brutal. I knew if he was going to do something, it would have to be his DH. But when they threw in Dylan Cease, I was like, Oh, please no. And I'm like, I just know exactly what's going to happen here. He's going to turn out awesome and the Cubs finally develop a pitcher and he's going to be winning Cy Young's for the White Sox. So Nick magical. I'm just saying, buddy. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know what? The, the Jimenez trade that uh, certainly worked out for the White Sox. I have no complaints whatsoever. And I wasn't rooting against Quintana. I loved Quintana. Yeah. He was great for the White Sox. I was rooting for him with the Cubs. I truly was. Yeah. And um, you guys, you did pretty well in the Sammy Sosa trade, right? Yeah. Like, oh, call, yeah. Call, oh, call yeah. spade a spade here. You did pretty well in the Sammy Sosa trade. Both teams got absolutely robbed in the magical Kimbrel trade. I mean, it didn't work out for anybody. It I, I, I still, I, I have a lot of faith in Cody Hewer. I'm, I'm hoping that he comes Fair. back, and 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 I think that you know that may nudge it. Otherwise, we you know if if he doesn't, then we call that one that we call that one a draw, right? Yeah. So we'll we'll be one one and one after that's all said. And I I still think you won the trade because. Yeah, the Sox got Pollock. He ended up being annoying. He annoyed me that he took less money to walk as a free agent. Like, you hated it that much? Really? Tony's gone. Like, what? give it another shot. Well, okay, we don't want you anyway. Um, have fun. In, I think it was Seattle he ended up with. Um, the Cubs, They at least we'll get something for Magical. They got Cody Hoyer. I don't think there's any way you call that anything other. It's a slight win for the Cubs. You know, they didn't blow out the White Sox like they did with the Sosa trade or like the White Sox did with Dylan Cease. But, like... If I got to give the edge to someone, I'm picking the Cubs. Yeah, well, we'll figure it out, and, and, and we'll see what happens. Vinny, thank you for having me on. Absolutely. It was my pleasure. Do you want to promote yourself really quick before you get out? Yeah, Tell people absolutely. where you're at. If, if there are Cub fans out there listening, you can find me at Crawley's Cubs. It's right there in the bottom left. That's my Twitter handle. We also do the Fly the W podcast for 670, the score flagship station for the Cubs, and we, we have a lot, you know, we have a lot of fun with it. So if you're interested in hearing some baseball talk, like I said, that's all we do. 24 seven. Absolutely. Paul, we can't thank you enough for coming on. Make sure you're following him on Twitter at Crawley's Cubs, and we will send you to one last commercial break. Come on, man. I, I, we're going to Baltimore. The wire is the best show of all time. And I've never seen such riveting TV where I actually felt like I was in East and West Baltimore, every single episode. And, um, it was just absolutely riveting and captivating from season one all the way to season, you know, to it finished up. And I'd put True Detective up there. McConaughey and Woody Harrelson. I mean, come on. It was just so well shot, so well written, directed. Like, I, don't, I feel like it's underrated as far as that list goes. Really good. Some people are referring to this show, this episode of Crosstown Crosstalk as the anti-Vinnie Parisi show because it was a show about the Twins and the Cubs. Like, what is going on? This was awesome. I'm totally joking. I loved every second of that interview with Paul. He knows his Cubs. Not only does he know his Cubs, that man loves his Cubs. 
and I can't thank him enough for coming on our show and bringing such passion. I, I always say it. I seldom find people with a passion for their favorite team that matches like mine or the people I associate myself with that. Like when I find new people that love their teams as much as I love my teams, man, it makes me feel so good. So I, I'm rooting for Paul to have a really good season with the Cubs and 670, the score podcasting and all that kind of stuff. Um, credit to him it was a great show and then of course twins ted we can't thank you enough for coming on our show as well make sure you follow him this was an outstanding broadcast on the barroom network once again uh crosstown crosstalk has big things planned for the summer and what's coming on i like when the shows are longer obviously it's my favorite thing in the world to do um they're a little bit shorter during the off season when there's less things to talk about during the off season i come on give you the news maybe have a guest here and there and then leave now that we're starting to get close to the end of the season i think there's Going to be a lot more content coming your way from Crosstown. I'm very excited about the future of this show. Of course, I'm excited about the Barroom Network as well. Tonight, Mac and Reed, 6 p.m. And then, of course, 9 p.m. Science Fiction. You are going to want to watch both of these shows as, you know, you do sports, you do entertainment, movies, video games, everything here at the Barroom Network. There's no better way than those two shows tonight here on the Barroom Network. I'm excited about it. You got to check them out tonight. Again, 6 p.m. Mac and Reed, 9 p.m. Science Fiction. Those are Central Standard Time Zones. This was an outstanding episode of Crosstown Crosstalk. Hour 40 minutes. It's been a minute since we've had an episode of Crosstown this long. I love it very much. It was a great episode going over the Minnesota Twins, the Chicago Cubs, the Miami Marlins making fun of the White Sox a little bit. I mean, that that's what we do. Uh, I'm a diehard White Sox fan, and I'm going to poop on them when it, when it feels right. And it feels right right now. Hopefully they're able to get this thing figured out, though, because there's a lot of talent on that team, and maybe them and the Cubs will have an outstanding, you know, crosstown rivalry when that time of the year comes. I'm very much looking forward to the summer. It's going to be a great time. I can't thank our guests once again. One more time, Twins Ted and Paul from Crawley's Cub Kingdom. Fly the W podcast, 670 the score. I hope everybody has a safe weekend. Be safe. We have a storm of brewing. Again, even though we're like well behind our snow inch totals for late in January at this point. So count your blessings that, you know, we're just now preparing for another storm again. Um, again, travel safe. Be safe. Enjoy Championship Sunday. Whoever you're rooting for or betting on, I hope they win for you. As always, thank you for listening. Thank you.